0: Our first message this afternoon is for Mr. Art Williams. It is entitled Decisions. Art. <coughs> They say there are two things in life you have to do, die and pay taxes. Actually, there are more than these two things that you have to do. One of the the additional things that you must do is to make decisions. And from the time that we're born until the time that we die, we make decisions. Some decisions we are not even aware of. They're simply automatic. Some are trivial, and others are life-forming and life-shaping. Some defi- decisions affect no one but yourself, and others affect those around you and the environment that you live in. So today, I'd like to take a look at making decisions from our, the aspect of daily routine and the physical life, if you will because it is important even to God what you do every day in your decisions. And My purpose is to make us all aware of some of the guidance given in the Bible and encourage you to use the Bible as a road map as much as possible in making our decisions. If not direct applications, then perhaps there are a few principles there to guide us. It's sometimes difficult when you're in the middle of a situation to understand how to apply a given principle. And there have been a few occasions, for me personally, that I've not been able to find any guidance at all. And that might be because of my emotional state, or my perspective, at that given time, that instant in time. But first off, does God care about our decisions as they relate to our physical life? And the answer is... Yes, He does. Absolutely, He does. Why? Anybody? Why? Mm-hmm. Because he created us for his pleasure, and by making decisions in courting with his desires, we have an intact relationship with him. And because we learn how to live with the intent to his will, what he would like to see us do within the context of our life and our purposes. It seems logical then to go to the book of Proverbs for guidance, and so that's where we will turn. The book of Proverbs, the very first chapter, the very first verse. The underlying factor of any successful outcome from decision making is wisdom. Let me repeat that. The underlying factor of any successful outcome from a decision that you make is wisdom. The problem with wisdom is it's generally not. It is generally acquired with time and experience. And for many of us, including myself, we have to learn by experience rather than believing what we're told. Before we're able to acquire wisdom, we must be willing to accept advice and be teachable, admit when we are wrong, and seek to make God-approved decisions. Let's go to Proverbs 1.1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll go all the way down through verse 10. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Continuing in verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Why would you want to do that? Well, because they're older, they have more experience. We're going to talk more about this in just a second. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want to interject here though Not all parents are perfect Sometimes they may not do the right thing or say the right thing you may not understand what they're saying or meaning when they say something Because from your perspective you're looking at it from here. They're looking at it from there But let's continue here verse 9 for they will they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck my son if sinners entice you do not consent if they say come with us let us lie in wait to do whatever they want to do in the bible here it says shed blood let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause and as a young person And as myself, and as most young people, we want to spread our wings and do it our way and learn the hard way, which is by experience. Because it's hard for somebody to... It's hard for a young person to hear an elder person say, don't do this because that is going to happen. The advantage we have today is the television. If you want to get some results from cause and effect, action, result, watch some of the crime shows watch some of the crime shows. You can see how these proverbs work. My dad had some very good advice. He said, keep your mouth shut, your eyes open and your ears open, and learn by observation without involvement. That's a a little saying I guess that I've kept in the back of my mind for a long time. But fathers and mothers always don't give good advice or handle situations correctly. They can only help to the degree of their own understanding and freedom from their own problems. And quite often, for first-generation Christians, and this is on the manly side of things, Okay, and this is from the voice of experience, the man of the house often has solutions and corrections that are encompassed with a military style of discipline, regimentation, rather than love, guidance, and support, coupled with understanding. And the difficult difficult part for a parent is when do you draw a line in the sand? When do you withdraw the support and say, no, you're out of here. I'm done with you. It's a hard decision to make. So all of us as adults, we have to realize, after we're adults, that our mom and dad weren't perfect. And we as adults have to deal with what we are. We have to forgive our parents. I, have, I probably have some scars that I haven't healed over yet, from things that my parents, actually my dad said or did. I think I've forgiven him, but I don't think I've healed from the scars and so you deal with them. You don't hate your parents because they didn't know any better either. So we as adults have to identify who we are and what we are and learn how to get to what we should be and who we should be and go on and deal with the situations, whatever they happen to may be, so we can have a favorable outcome. So what is wisdom? What's wisdom? You know, I I looked in dictionaries, I looked in Bible dictionaries, and I didn't come up with any particular definition that I liked. So with the help of some sources, I kind of came up with my own combination of the definition of wisdom with some help of some other people's opinions. But before I get to the definition, I want to say this. To understand any subject we must first know the definitions of the words that we're talking about. If I'm gonna talk electronics to you and I say the resistance of the, of the resistor is this and the capacitance is this and the impedance is that, if you don't know what those terms mean, you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. Same thing with wisdom. If you don't have a definition of wisdom, you don't know what I'm talking about. The definition of wisdom that I, that I like Uh, is. It's the application of knowledge and understanding to achieve a favorable outcome. Knowledge, I'm going to use an example that the women will appreciate, and you men can too, I think, a recipe for making a cake. The knowledge is the recipe it's written on a piece of paper in front of you. It says two eggs, flour, you know, oil, whatever, temperature oven. But what's understanding? Understanding is if I put three eggs in instead of two, what happens to my cake? If I don't pre-bake, preheat the oven and I put the cake in there first and then I turn the heat for the oven, what happens? I know what happens when all those factors that go into the recipe are varied. Now I have understanding because I can change, I know the interrelational ship between the things. Let's look at an example that everybody here knows of very well. It's an example of Solomon and it's found in 1 Kings 3. You know the story of the two women who both claim that this child was their own and they came before Solomon to determine who was going to get custody of this child it's in first kings chapter 3 verses 16 through 23 that's the story <clears throat> and after both women had presented their cases i'm not going to go through the story because i think we all know it and if not you can review it on your own first kings 316 through 23 i want to get down to the solomon's decision because that's that's the meat of this. That's where we're going to learn about wisdom. Verse 25. Let's, let's start in 20, 24. Then the king said, af- after all the women had done all their arguments, presented their case. Verse 24. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought him a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give one half to one woman and the other half to the other woman. The knowledge that Solomon had was the arguments that the women presented before him. But what was not presented in that legal form was Solomon's understanding of people. Solomon's understanding of people said, that a mother's love would never allow her child to be put to death. And so she would give that child up. The real mother of the child would voluntarily give up ownership of the child so it would live. Going back to verse 26, then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king for she yearned for compassion for her sin and said, oh my Lord, Give her the living child, and by no means kill him. So Solomon had the knowledge from the arguments. He had the understanding of what a mother's love was. And he put the two together to act wisely. And he said, so the king answered and said, give the first woman the living child. By no means kill him, for she is the mother. That's wisdom in action. He had knowledge. He had understanding. He applied them both, and it resulted in a favorable income. In- income. <laughs> Outcome. <laughs> so how can we get this type? of of wisdom, so we can make better decisions in our lives. Let's go back to Proverbs because this is where it all starts. Proverbs, the second chapter, verse 1. Most of the time today, here, we'll be in Proverbs. Proverbs 2, 1 through 7. And my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. It doesn't say you're going to get it. It says apply your heart. If your heart's not in it to seek understanding, you're not going to get it. It doesn't mean by going out there and believing somebody what somebody tells you or everything somebody tells you. It means proving it, not just simply believing it. And you have to want discernment. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and you've lifted your voice for understanding, if you seek it as silver, do you want understanding as badly as you want silver or gold? There's one main gold mine in the United States. Actually, there's a total of 39 gold mines in the United States, but there's only one large one, and that's up in North Dakota. It's been operating since the late 1800s. It's put out more gold than any other mine in the United States. Know any gold mines in Oklahoma? Anybody know of a gold mine in Oklahoma? I don't no gold in New York, West Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia. You want to find wisdom? You have to seek it. You have to work for it. It means reading books. It means observing, keeping your mouth shut and your ears and eyes open. It means being able to read people to find out when they're lying to you. You know, being able to read read people's body languages is, is Is more than an art. If you watch some of these crime shows, it's kind of interesting because they'll stick somebody in a chair, you know, like one of these chairs. Somebody tells you to sit in this chair, what are you going to do with your arms? You're going to sit like this? Move up so you can see me over there. Are you going to sit there like this? What these police do, see, they stick somebody in an interrogation room. And they watch him in a video. And the guy sits there like this. And so they say, ah, he's obstinate. He's going to be resisting us. Look at the way he's got his arms crossed. Well, what are you supposed to do with your arms? Sit there like this? I mean, give you a chair with arms on it, the guy would probably be sitting there like this. I'll guarantee you that's exactly what I would do. Not because I have an attitude. Because I don't know what else to do with my arms. So we need to be able to read people's body language, we have to be able to perceive and discern when they're lying to us, whether they're being honest, if their actions follow their words. Now all of us have some disconnect between the words that we say and our actions because we don't have perfect follow through in our intentions and we sometimes forget things and also, circumstances change. I can start out with good intentions of writing music for Hannah. Hannah wrote a song, which I'm putting down music to right now. And I can start out with the intentions of having that song completed in a week. But all of a sudden, I'm out of town for a week. And then when I get back, I have to catch up with the other things that I was doing. And before I know it, the next Sabbath is there. And I don't have the music done. So I didn't keep my word. Well, sometimes there are circumstances that preclude being able to. That doesn't mean I lied to her. I'm talking about fluid events. In our society, it is more fluid today than ever before. There's more information out there. Things change faster. <clears throat> if we look at how how much information is, is being um, learned, uh, it's a phenomenal rate. I, I don't remember the number now, but it's just phenomenal how fast intelligence and information is becoming available to us. So going down to verse 9, it says, Then you will understand righteousness and judgment, equity in every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you, to deliver you out of the way of evil. From the man who speaks perverse things and from those who lead the path of, of uprightness and walk in the ways of darkness. What are your most difficult decisions? Just think about it in your own mind. I, don't, don't tell me about them. I don't want to hear that. But just in your own mind, if you have any difficult decisions before yourself right now, what are they? Why are they difficult? Why are they difficult decisions? Quite often, the difficult decisions are because of conflicts, either external or internal to ourselves. And both situations can be extremely difficult and confusing. And because being in the situation is different from explaining the situation to another and hoping for advice and help, it's hard for other other people to understand what your situation is. Involved in the situations are nonverbal communications, emotions, biases, and prejudice all influence us. And it's difficult then for others to understand these situations. When external situations, though, we can take some action to exit the situation and be done with it. If the situation is external to us. If our employer, we have a problem with our employer, we can look for a new job. If we don't live, like living where we're at, we can move. If we, something's wrong with the school system or the colleges, we can leave and move, and so on. But when the conflict is internal, we simply can't exit that situation. We can suppress it, or we can repress it, but it's still waiting there under the surface for resolution. And it will impact you. And you won't be aware of it. Needs resolution. And what makes the conflict difficult is first, I got five different situations: head versus heart. These are love and emotional type situations. At least for me, they had been love. You know, emotions, head and heart. This is the right guy. This is the right girl. You know, your heart saying, "This is the one." And your head's back you're saying to you, your conscience is whispering to you, yeah, but, but you don't want to hear that. So you've got knowledge versus emotion. The thing to realize about that is emotions are temporary. You see, in those situations where you, I have to have it, it could even be a painting. If, if you're talking about Warren Buffett or somebody, he might feel that way about a painting by Renoir or somebody. He's got to have that painting. And so he out, yells out and gets it. And what does he do? He puts it in his den. He hangs it on the wall. Now he's got it and he walks away and never looks at it again. Like Bernie Madoff's yacht. You know who Bernie Madoff, Does everybody know who Bernie Madoff was? Everybody know who he was? The FBI agent who confiscated his yacht said it was perfect. There wasn't even a drop of oil in the engine room. There wasn't even a drop of oil on the engine. He probably never used it. It was nothing but a showpiece. There was, it's vain. It's vanity. Head and heart decisions. And if you, if you continue to make decisions on an emotional basis, you will result in, in being like a leaf blown by the wind. No stability, no direction, no path. Let's go to Proverbs 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Keep your heart. Don't let that man or that girl get you so wrapped up around their finger that you'll do anything, literally anything they ask for because you want their praise, their love, their recognition, their acceptance. That's what it's saying. Drop down to verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet... And let all your ways be established. That means look back at what the path you've taken. You just don't go out there, make some decisions, run down the sidewalk, fall in the gutter, get up and continue running along and don't even think about it. Look back at the decisions you've made and see if you made right ones. See if you're happy with those decisions. I could have done, were there alternatives that you could have taken if you wanted to? Let's go to Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart is deceitful. So if you make decisions based upon your heart... You could very well be making decisions based on faulty information. You have to cross-check it. You have to get books, bury, your, bury your, your nose in books. Learn about life. I don't know how much we take with us at the time when, at the moment of a twinkling of an eye when we're changed. I don't know if we take anything with us out of this life and into the next life. But I do know we need to do the best we can to be in compliance with God's will if we're going to enjoy our life here. Otherwise, we're gonna have strife. And Jesus also says we'll have strife if we are in his words because there are people out there that hate him. But outside of that, we should be able to have a fairly profitable life. Another area of conflict, wants versus needs. We want that sports car. See, we don't need to have that sports car. So we go into debt. We take a loan out. Like my roommate, when I first out of college, I had a roommate. So what he does? He needs a car. So he goes out to the first dealership. You know how the de- auto ship rows are. You know, you, you got five or ten dealerships right down the mat- boulevard. So he goes down there, driving along, and he sees one car in a lot, and he says he likes that. So we stop and look at it. Oh, I love this car. Oh, this is it. Here's the down payment on my money. I'm going to buy this car. Okay. Drive on down the boulevard another two miles. Oh my goodness, look at that one. I like that one. Let's go in there. I like this one. Here's money. Let's go back and see the first guy. First guy, I want my money back because I found another car car that I like better. Oh, you're going to buy the other car rather than this one? And you want your money back? No. You gave me earnest money saying you're going through this deal. No, I'm not giving your money back. That's what happened. He told him, get out of here. You said you were making a deal. That's earnest money. That says you're going through with the deal. Now, if you can't get a loan for the vehicle, that's a different deal. You know, we'll give your money back for that, but no. You're not getting your money back. Decisions based upon emotions and needs and wants. When we make a decision based upon wants, lots of times, it's because it makes us feel important, or it makes us feel equal. We have to have a car, we have to have an iPhone, an iPad, we have to have a Kindle or a tablet. And a lot of these are fostered upon us by society. Because your friends say, huh, you don't have a Kindle? Oh, you're not wearing the latest clothing? Another conflict, internal conflict, is will versus ability. Willing to do anything, even if they don't have the ability to do it. Like flying a plane. Most people wouldn't go out and get behind the controls of an airplane if they haven't had any lessons. I mean, you say that example to somebody, yeah, that's pretty stupid, yeah. But yet, they turn around and do the same thing, essentially, in their life, in different aspects of their life. Okay. No, the very first apartment I ever got, I never moved into it because nobody told me about what it is when you go out to move, get an apartment. I got out of college. I was going. I, I had to come back and look for a job. Yet, but I wanted to go back to New York and see my parents first, so I stayed in the apartment that I was at. Went to another apartment, put some money down, and said, "I'll be back in two weeks. That's when I want to move in." I go right to my new apartment because I closed out my old apartment. The person says, "Well." Yeah, it's, it's ready. Here's the keys. Well, ready meant electricity wasn't on, the water wasn't on, the heat wasn't on. Ready to me meant turn the key and move in, flip the light switch on, carry my television, plug it in the wall, and everything's set to go. Nothing was set to go. And I'm, I'm supposed to be starting my new job, brand new job, the very next day. And, and, and now I got to somehow coordinate to get all these utilities turned on and everything? I said, no. I I I hour's mean, drive from work anyway. I, I, I got at the apartment there because I knew the area. And I didn't understand a lot of the areas around Chicago. I only knew one area where there was a church. So I went up to that area, and I moved into the YMCA. And I want to tell you, I don't care what the village people said in their song about YMCA, you don't want to live in the YMCA. <laughs> I'll tell you, I did that for a week. I've been there, done that. It's a voice of experience, but I didn't have any other place to go except live in my car. Another conflict that will make decisions difficult are truth versus deception. You know, we lie to ourselves, we already read that scripture in Jeremiah, heart is deceitful. But we can come to learn about ourselves. And if we know ourselves, we know we can predict what we are going to do in a given situation if we know ourselves. And if you know others, you can predict what others are going to do in a given situation. Another conflict is adequate versus inadequate. There are a lot of different examples you could use for this. I just want to look at it from the standpoint of knowledge. Many times we think we know the facts. We know the way it really is. In reality, we're clueless. And it happens in the highest levels of this land. I'm talking about Congress, and I'll use an example here. Some time ago, a reporter asked some political people in Washington, their opinion of what needed to be done in handling the situation in Iraq between the Shiites and the Sunnis. And they gave their opinion. This was a real sharp reporter. His next question made them look like fools after they gave their opinion. His next question was what's the difference between the Sunnis and the Shiites? None of them knew. None of them knew what the Shias stood for and what the Shiites stood for. But they had solutions to their problems. How do you get a solution for the problem when you never even heard the problem? I didn't reference that proverb, but there's a proverb in here. That's, there's a proverb in here that says, "The man, something to the effect that the man that answers a matter before he hears it is a fool." So you can have an opinion, and it, and it, it, it dominates our society today. Just turn turn and talk talk radio sometime. Everybody's got opinions, and. I think there's very little real understanding of the situations that they happen to be talking about. I got to get moving along here. Um, I'm going to just I'm going to read out some proverbs. I'm not going to turn there. Some of them I already hit on. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. Proverbs 16:2. Every man's way is right in his own eyes. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. The simple believe every word. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding. Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. Why? Because in another scripture, which I didn't put down here, because the unrighteous will drag you down. There's an old cliche, one rotten barrel spoils the bunch. And it's true. You won't, if, you, if you're a girl and you think you're going to change your boyfriend and lift him out of the depths of degradation, it's not going to happen. It's going to be the other way around. You see events of that on the crime shows all the time. He who walks with wise men will be wise. You want to be wise? Have friends that are smart and know how to run their life. But the companions of fools will be destroyed A man's heart plans his way. You can plan your way and and what you want to do and accomplish in your life. But the Lord directs his steps. I have also 16 steps of lessons of life. I'm not going to have time to go through them. I will read off a couple of them to you. Because I want to illustrate one point here before I close. First point in the lessons of life is avoid chaos. Hold it. Stop. What's chaos? I have a guy doing some work for me. And in casual conversation, he tells me, he has 10 kids. Now that's chaos to me, man. <laughs> his youngest is one and his oldest is 14. That's chaos to me. I mean, But it doesn't have to be. The definition of chaos is a mixed and blended situation to avoid distinction. You know, it's like an omelet. You take an egg, you whip up the the egg, you throw the onions in there and the meat in there, and you whip it all up. Now, how do you separate the onions from the egg from the meat? It's all blended together. And some of the onions get transparent, so you can't even see them. So that's chaos. You can't can't separate it out. But you could, indeed, have kids if you're a talented parent like Mr. Steve Andrews and keep everything under control. (laughs) a second lesson of life is live below your economic level and don't own more than you can maintain don't own more than you can afford and don't own more than you can love and nurture we have three kitty cats and that's my limit man there's no way I could ever love a fourth kitty cat there's not enough time in the world work to learn Work to get wisdom and understanding. Don't work for money. Proverbs fifteen twenty seven. Proverbs fifteen twenty-seven. Work to learn. Why? Because once you learn your job, you're ready to move on the next next step up. If your employer doesn't have something for you, there's always maybe somebody else that does. Granted, in our economy right now, things that may be a little difficult to do. Another one is treat yourself fairly. Okay? Lots of times we have a very bad impression. We feel badly about ourselves. We feel, I'm worthless. And sometimes this can go back to parents. You know, there's uh, certain parents out there that they are idealists, and they they decided for their kids. And there's one episode on television of a situation like that where the, the dad had decided what his two boys were going to do. And he was bound and determined that they were going to become tennis players, and they simply didn't have the ability to do it. And you know, if you, you tell somebody to be a star tennis player and be a tennis champion, and, and even the even the 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 teachers that were hired to train these two young men to be tennis pros said they haven't got what it takes, and the dad wouldn't listen to it. You know that results in bad relationships between parents and children. Honor and respect and value his blessings and take care of them. You know, my—I won't say my. If you were a parent and you gave your child a car because he graduated high school or college, brand new car, beautiful red, right off the show lot, the, the the show floor, and. Two weeks later, you come home. His car is there. It's got a dent in their left front fender. Windshield's got a crack in it. There's mud all over it. Well, how much do you think that car is valued? Not by very much, is it? I knew a girl who, when she graduated high school, she got a Porsche, brand new Porsche. Her grandmother gave it to her. She wasn't happy. You know what she said she wanted? I want a BMW. I didn't want a Porsche. Hey, I I was happy I got a car, you know. But you see, that made her gave her status in the eyes of her friends. She's driving. Even a Porsche would give her uh, the status in the eyes of her friends. But it did do anything for her. Did she learn anything from it? Did she get any understanding? Did that please God? Not a bit. God's not impressed with Porsches or BMWs or Mercedes. Don't be driven by your emotions and be true to yourself. Be honest with yourself. And I'm going to wrap this up now with Proverbs 16, Proverbs 16, 20 through 22, Proverbs 16, 20 through 22. He who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. The wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it.